Clubhouse. Do you love Christmas? Do you love Christmas movies? Do you wish it was Christmas time year round? Well, do we have a podcast for you? Welcome to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. Whoa, 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 Clark. We're keeping this show family-friendly. Where's the Tylenol? Welcome to week 27 of the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. This week we're talking about a classic Christmas in Connecticut 1945 movie starring Barbara Stanwyck. Uh, it was a story by Aileen Hamilton and a screenplay by Lionel Hauser and Adele Comandini. One of the very few women writers, screenplay writers, that we've actually had on this podcast. I don't know what's up with that. I think we're going to have to, you know, maybe make some efforts to find some more women writers. Because this definitely, I felt like you could feel the, the woman hand in this. Oh, are you maybe referring to this? Well, I think if you'll listen to me, you'll find... Suppose you listen to me for it. Now, Miss Lane... I said listen to me. I'm tired of being pushed around, tired of being told what to do, tired of writing your gall-darn articles, tired of dancing to everybody else's tune, tired of being told whom to marry. In short, I'm tired. But, Miss Lane... get out. You'll regret this. I said get out. That's a very good day, sir. It's a very good day. You (laughs) lost, Charlie. Good day, sir. Exactly. I love it. I mean, man, this is some fresh business in 1945. Come on now. It is. I mean, I very distinctly remember you and I, when we were talking about Miracle on 34th Street, talking about how that was like one of the first times you got to see a woman really being assertive in the workplace and taking what was hers and not being apologetic for being in the city and not married and, you know, having a kid or having a life and not being dependent on a man. And this movie beats Miracle on 34th Street by two years. Like, wow. Yeah, this is a way, way, way ahead of its time. I think you're 100% right. I think you're definitely feeling the the female tone coming through the writing here. And I think Barbara Sandwick is a wonderful instrument to play that out because she has such wonderful humor and sass, but she's also got like a fire in her belly and she's not afraid to let you sh- like let you see it. And she's very competent. I mean, she does her job and she does her job well. By all accounts, she's actually not absorbed or internalized anything she's ever written <laughs> and yet is a right. very accomplished writer. Let's tell our listeners who who probably have not seen this movie because this one's a little bit more obscure. It is. Um, so this plot is a food writer, Elizabeth Lane, who's played by Barbara Stanwyck, has lied about being the perfect housewife and must try to cover her deception when her boss and a returning war hero invite themselves to her home for a traditional family Christmas. Mike, I loved just a little plot summary of this. I was like, a food writer? I'm already intrigued. Imagine Carrie Bradshaw from Sex and the City impersonated the pioneer woman. 
And I was going a different direction. I was thinking, imagine anybody basically pretending to be Martha Stewart and just like going with like an entire writing articles, making this whole life with a husband and a kid and just this whole farm life that she has and all these antiques and everything, how she's just cooking these elaborate dishes. And meanwhile, she's a single woman living alone in an apartment in New York City and totally can't cook, can't do any of this stuff, and doesn't know any of this business. This movie was actually directed by Peter Godfrey, who had a very long career in theater and then actually transitioned to Hollywood. This actually kicked off, I believe, a three-movie partnership between him and Barbara Stanwyck. They went on to work together several more times in in each of their careers. So they obviously had a good experience working uh, with each other. We talked a little bit about Barbara, and I think we're going to be spending most of our time talking about Ms. Stanwyck. So let's start at the next line down on the call sheet. Dennis Morgan, who's playing Jefferson Jones. I have no idea who this guy is. I've never heard of him. That's my own poor knowledge of, of the golden age of Hollywood, I'm sure, seeping in here. All I could think about was that he looks so much like Dick Van Dyke when he would turn his head up. That's funny. I was thinking, where did all the men go who do this like wave in their hair? Like, I, I wish that these <laughs> men still existed because I love a good curly hair that's like smoothed like that. Like, I think it's so handsome. Is he the right guy? Now, we. this is now, uh, uh, I mean, I'm thinking of White Christmas, which is mm-hmm. also a post-World War II movie. Uh, features guys discharged from the army, come home, uh, you know, having hijinks at Christmas time. Does Dennis Morgan's Jefferson Jones hold up to the Bing Crosby's of the world? Is he is he believable in this role? Is there? Do you feel like more could have been done by it? Is he charismatic enough to sweep Elizabeth off her feet? Uh, love at first sight style, the way she does, the way well- he does. I, so I don't really think it's necessarily love at first sight so much as love at first taking care of the baby. I feel like that was when she started swooning pretty hard. When he rolled his sleeves up and was like, oh, yeah, I take care of like uh, my family's kids, blah, blah, blah. That was like when she was like, what? Like, this is what I need in my life. I need a guy who's willing to basically willing to pitch in and do everything that, you know, we're stereotypically supposed to be doing as the woman. I, I agree with you that that was like a real like clincher for her as I mean, she even says like, you know, you'll make a wonderful husband, Mr. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he like falls in him. But she opens the door and they get a look at each other and she says, Merry Christmas, Mr. Jones. <laughs> and it is smoldering like she catches her own breath at the door. Go rewatch that scene. That is yeah, like... Yeah, but she's doing that stuff the whole time, man. When she's trying on that mink coat, she's like, mm-hmm. I mean, like, she just has that swagger to her, man, that she's just, she's just oozing it. There's a double take she takes there, though. I mean, he he does a double He's take handsome. because he does a double take because he thinks, you know, based on the articles that he and, and Yardley have both obsessively read of this woman, oh, uh, no. uh, <laughs> to a creepy degree, I will say, um, he's expecting like that she's the daughter of elizabeth lane so he's flabbergasted that she is the woman in the flesh but she does quite the double take herself i i I think this is a classic 
uh, love at first sight situation. That, and I, that's how I took it. I read a little bit about it afterwards, and, and that, that, that was a common uh, refrain I read. So I felt good about that. But yeah, I, I think within, within a short amount of time, these two are all swoon. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's got a little competition insofar as Mr. Sloan, John Sloan, played by Reginald Gardner, who is very stable. It, this is actually his farmhouse that they're doing these hijinks at this weekend. He's very accomplished. He's an architect, which he tells everyone 19,000 times. I know, right? And that and that no one, no one helps him with his decision making. These are all his picks. On paper, this guy's a catch. And and you know what? Has like a decent sense of humor. He doesn't have to be doing any of the stuff that he's doing for Elizabeth and and by extension Dudley Beecham who doesn't even come out to the farmhouse. I I felt for Mr. Sloan. I actually like the guy. I I think he was set up to be a little bit of the like the straight man who's going to get a dear John letter. You know, he he no matter who won at the end, you knew it wasn't going to be him. So I mm-hmm. felt I felt for him a little bit because he really didn't have any bad qualities other than being a bit conceited. I think the whole concept of let's get married and then then she says, I don't love you. And he's like, well, <laughs> that's not that big of a deal. In time, you'll grow to love me. Isn't that of the time, though? Oh, it is of the time, but I don't think it makes you a good person. I don't think it makes you like, I, I think that it's very like, like luring you into a trap. Like, come here, just come here, just come here. Because she is a professional woman with money of her own, buying her own mink coat, doing just fine. She doesn't need John, you know, but he's kind of making it to where, you know, oh, well, you'd be better off with a husband. I got the impression and it struck me he was trying anything he could think of to be with her. I felt genuine attraction on his part to her and a desire to be with her, a classic unrequited love kind of feeling and you know and and i think that's why he jumps at the chance to help her here and be a white knight in shining armor because i think that plays one right into his own big ego for sure which is not a good thing but i think he genuinely has affection for her you know you have to marry someone so why not marry me is just like more is is like taking a practical approach i've tried wooing and that hasn't worked. I've proposed to you a half a dozen times. You've turned me down. So let me be more practical about it. You're going to be fired. I could give you a life. You'll come to love me in time. I already love you now. That was kind of how I took it. And maybe I'm maybe I'm romanticizing him and his feelings more than it is. Maybe it was more of a collection of a trophy wife aspect to him. But I didn't really get that. I really got a sincerity to him that he would have been quite happy being married to her had... Jefferson Jones not been a swoon-worthy fellow. I don't think there's any question mark that he'd be happy. But what I'm trying to say is that I don't think that that makes you a very good partner when you know very well that the other person doesn't love you and isn't going to be happy in this marriage. Like, that's kind of like... I mean, and this has to be outside of the story. Obviously, within this storyline of what has to happen because they have to put on this whole charade, obviously, John is being a good friend. And in theory, you know, everyone is getting something they want out of this. Right. But right. just as the as like the he's proposed many times, she's rejected him many times from that standpoint. And I'm not even necessarily looking at it at, from 2021, which from 2021, he's dead wrong. He should walk away. He's a mess. This is wrong. 
quit harping on her. But even from back then, I'm saying like, I don't know, man, like have a little bit more dignity. She said no. And she's like, just fine without you. You know, there. I think there's some truth to you fall in love with someone, you become fixated on them. And yes, you may be setting yourself up for heartbreak over and over again. But there's some truth to you. You don't your heart does what your heart does and your you know feels what it feels and you know we're all a little bit of a slave to that i, I think I, I i and i certainly you have to imagine someone with his financial success and stability could have gotten a woman to marry him if he was so inclined so why pursue her if not, if not for actually having genuine affection for her. Well, I think he does. This isn't, I'm not talking about John. John does love her. Uh, that's not a question mark. He does love her, but she's already said no. And she's already said, I don't love you. So that's yeah, what I'm saying. Okay. Like, I don't understand the like continuing on of it oh, when she's okay. like, I'm not into you. It just seems like at this point it should be like, I, and I'm talking outside the storyline. Obviously the storyline, right. this is what needs to happen. But before that, you know, the fact that he just keeps coming at her just because he can't stop loving her. Well, you know, you gotta put on the brakes, sir. He already said no. I, I'm going to give a defense to that. Only in from what we saw early on in the movie when she when he comes into the scene and she's already there and Beecham's already there. They're essentially begin kind of fighting over her. And she even says, like, she kind of puts her hands up and she's uh, she says, boys, please stop quarreling. But they're quarreling over her. They're quarreling over her virtue and her heart kind of thing. But she's having fun with it, though. There is flirtation in there. And I think that is just the character. I think the character, or at least the way Barbara Stanwyck is playing the character, is a natural flirt. But if you're lovesick for the girl who's also flirting with you, you know, maybe every time she rejects you, you feel like there's a door being left open there. If I just get if I just build one more house or one more apartment complex or one more fireplace, maybe that will be enough to turn the flirtation into something serious. I'm, I'm, she's not slamming the door. She is, she's gently closing the door on him over and over again. It wasn't hard nose as much as, you know, John, I'm not going to marry you. I, 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 I'm, <laughs> I'm give not it a sure where you're going with this. Like, I don't understand that all the biz. I, I don't get it. I don't understand. What's the giving him the benefit of the doubt? Yeah, he loves her totally, but she doesn't love him. Yeah, but they're friends, though. And okay. and she ha she doesn't shut him down in any kind of way where if he was determined to try and prove himself worthy and hopefully one day have her fall in love with him I, I don't think she shuts him down in such a way that he would be deterred from giving it up altogether <laughs> he definitely loves her she doesn't reject him in a way where i feel like he has to necessarily give up his attempts to try and win her over okay that's fair. I mean, it, I mean, she's definitely got him in the friend zone and, you know, keeping him there. How many people do we know? How many guys have you met in your life who have been friend zoned who don't realize it and and fruitlessly and frustratingly bang against the door and, and maybe don't even ever realize that they've been friend zoned? Plenty. Plenty. It's a tough place to be. And, and, and the problem with being in the friend zone is the hope never goes out because you remain being friendly with the person. So the object of your heart's desire continues to be kind and loving to you you of course want to take that all in the best possible light so every time she's kind and loving to him he's taking it as like there's life there's hope here <laughs> in my heart 
What do we think the relationship is with Felix? He's a little bit more confusing to me because he definitely has some admiration and, you know, interest in her. But I can't really tell if it's if it's just kind of like, you know, too much affection from like a, a an older man kind of thing. Or does does he think he stands a chance with her? I don't think so. I think he is. I think he's in love with her in the way old men become smitten with women that impress them that are much younger. And so they take on a weird fatherly role or or uncle like role but at the same time also act as like a cerberus guarding their chastity against all men that they deem unworthy the way that the way that she you know the way that he blocks john and and tries to frustrate every single attempt of his and yet encourages jefferson to to go forth he's acting as a gatekeeper because of his love for her which he i think he understands can never be real love and so he has channeled that into not romantic love not, rom- not like romantic yeah he's right love. he's channeled right he's channeled his his confused romantic feelings which come from a place of being impressed by her i think he's truly impressed by her uh even though it seems like it's a little bit of a parasitic relationship where she uses him constantly and gets and he gets very but little at the out of same it time when he was like when she's like i should learn how to cook this and he was like no no no, no don't learn how to cook like right, he because clearly that's... wants to keep his role here of course of course <laughs> unlike just like john who wants to keep his role don't close the door on me because the the joy of you smiling at me in my life every day keeps me going to the next day. And so you take away me being able to cook for you and come up with recipes for you. You are literally closing off a chamber to my heart. So I think he has channeled his romantic feelings for her into a uh, father figure kind of affection for her, a, a familial affection for her, where he will act as like her guardian angel. Of I was so happy to see him because the actor that plays Felix is Carl from Casablanca. And I was so glad to see him. I was like, you are so cute. And he plays such a similar role of sort of just being like that sidekick little like a little plot device. Like he'll like say something, do something and kind of push things along a little bit. I loved him. And even to the point where in his own restaurant, he has a Sam who he liked talks to and like get some information from and i was like oh my goodness you have an employee named sam like that's so cute i loved it loved the little callback but uh yeah no as soon as i saw him there's something very comforting about him i i find him He's very grandfatherly yes or uncle i mean there's something there's something very reassuring about him where you feel like you can trust him you know he's gonna make you like goulash and it's going to be okay. <laughs> there was actually a, a funny little in-joke built into the movie that I caught because only because it was a funny phrase. The first time they're at the farmhouse and uh, and Felix uh, is turned off by Yardley, Mr. You know, Alexander Yardley, the boss. Uh, mm-hmm. He mumbles under his breath. He calls him Fat Man as he walks away. Yes. So Sidney Greenstreet, who's playing Yardley in the movie, he was in the Maltese Falcon. His role, Casper Gutman, had a codename, and his codename in the Maltese Falcon was the Fat Man. Oh, hilarious. And he continues to do that, even all the way through to the very end. He's like, don't go in until the Fat Man comes out. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> yeah, no, no, very, 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 very funny. Very uh, nice little in-joke and, you know, also Love appropriate, it. too. So what did you think of Sydney Greenstreet? Uh, I, again, not terrible. This is my own lack of knowledge about black and white movies and old movies. I, I, I've admittedly not done my work 
yet on them. Um, but, you know, Cindy Greenstreet is a name I actually know from the annals of history. Well, I thought it was fun because he's also from Casablanca. Um, so Senor Ferrari was him as well. And so I was like, oh, that's so funny that like we have two guys coming from Casablanca. And, uh, you know, I he was a funny character. I mean, he was definitely the type of person who you're supposed to be, you know, kind of hating. And he's like this bad, you know, guy who's just so strict. And we all have to be like running this whole ruse on. But at the same time, like he was... I I thought he was actually likable in a lot of ways and the very end when he like does that laugh that was like a maniacal laugh in a way that I was like what is your business I don't know he had these little moments like when he was walking along at the dance and he was looking out out the window at them walking I was like you are the funniest little muppet like you you're not just this like stiff you know proper gentleman like he has all these little parts to him his role in the movie in a lot of ways reminded me of like the great aunt marm in mm. movies you know kind of like the morality police yeah he's always peeping like out the window and stuff like that like he's that kind of character but in a really judgmental way like he has a like a strict morality code that he is adhering to i mean he he says at the beginning of the movie to Beecham, he says i demand two things uh that the facts are true you know, that people don't lie to me and that you do as I say. And, you know, which is which is an interesting code to live by. But he he's pretty consistent with that uh, throughout the movie. Now, it's juxtaposed by this unbridled capitalism streak in him. But you get you think 1945, the German surrender is in May of 1945, May 8th, 1945. This movie comes out August 11th, 1945. Do you know what happened five and two days before this movie comes out? What? We dropped the atomic bombs on Japan. Like, World War II is not even over yet when this movie comes out. We bomb Hiroshima on August 6th. We bomb Nagasaki on August 9th. This movie comes out August 11th. Japan surrenders on, like, the 15th. This is a wild time to be in America. We are fist-pumping all over the place here. So capitalism... These are like Gordon Gecko's like grandparents. Like greed is good and capitalism is better, and we're gonna put American housekeeping in the ground. Like he represents all of that, but at the same time, also, you know, you can't lie. Like you really do have to live on a farm and you really do have to have a kid, and it can't be just like a good column for people to consume. Really, really fine line he's walking uh as a character. Really interesting. I, I like the setup of this and, and our timing in terms of the fact that, you know, we have soldiers, we have Jefferson Jones's background. Did you know anything about a Magoo and this whole business with the nurses? I had never heard that phrase. And honestly, I couldn't even figure it out from the context. I, I, I went right to Mr. Magoo right away because that's the only name I know associated with that. I understood once he, once Sink, Sinkowitz explains the context, but no, I had never heard the phrase. How about you? I was taking this entire thing as like, a play on the cliche concept of like the way to a man's heart is through his stomach and this was like a like a twist on that so it was like you know in order to get great food what you have to do is pretend to be in love and then they'll they'll go out of their way to find you good food and I was like okay this makes this makes sense to me like you know why we would be doing this and why why we would like play with that because with this woman writer I love this idea of like messing around with the with the trope there of that. I was really happy that we were talking about food, Mike, because in all of our Christmas movies here, 
for as much of a huge tradition as food is, it really hasn't come into play very much, if at all. We had the Christmas ham. How about that? That that played out in the cranks, right? Yeah. No, there's a lot of food, uh, food-driven plot in this movie, and and you know, as 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 a bit of a fat man myself, I appreciated it. I appreciated, I, and I think you have a lot of Uncle Felix to thank for that. I, I feel like he is telling the narrative his way through food. You know, the weirdest thing that I was looking at was that I was thinking food does not photograph well in black and white. The broccoli and the stuff that they were serving up, I was like, this looks so disgusting. All of our Instagram ways of 2021, you know, you see these beautiful beautiful food art and i was like oh man that looks horrible (laughs) it was funny but like i'm really glad that the idea that food and tradition and the holidays you know just the idea of like gathering together for a great meal would be like enough to have all these people come together i mean that's really the whole reason was food was that was to enjoy her food hilariously that she doesn't know how to cook that is a good bit and you know it's funny because it's a recurring bit also when they talk about how she'll be a wonderful wife but they always literally follow that up with but she can't cook and it's yes. a running bit that i think every single man in this movie says at some point in some context yes. um and they all seem okay with it which again i think is groundbreaking for this time when you think of it stereotypically based on just how women are valued in this time and especially i mean as we're going into the 50s Think of your Donna Reeds, right? Think of that of that American housewife era that we're about to enter into. Uh, think of all the sitcoms that Kevin can F himself that we're talking about also over in our podcast. Kevin can podcast himself. All of those sitcom tropes, they're all about to be born in 1945, 46, and then into the early 50s and the early 60s. Uh, that's all about to happen here. And for them to be okay with this woman who would make an excellent wife they all agree but also can't cook is kind of wild and really progressive for the time it's just another way this movie i think is really progressive again i'm looking at those women writers that that are on the team here and i'm like yes i see you i see you making fun of this i see you guys saying like how absurd this is you know like why why do we keep focusing in on the cooking you know yeah well let's get back to barbara stanwyck and how she is playing elizabeth here because i think a lot of this progressive nature comes across and works because of her and because of her delivery not only does she perform elizabeth i think elizabeth as being very competent at what she does but she delivers it with oodles and oodles of charisma and sass and charm she's very hard to not like like the scene when they're going to look for the cow and they're just openly flirting her and Jefferson and and they have that they have that whole scene where you know she turns and playfully is like you know are you flirting with me and uh <laughs> and you know but then she but she, but then he she sees him like recoil and she says a married woman is always intrigued to find that she's still attractive to the opposite sex i can't believe that line didn't violate some censorship law still on the books in 1945 you would have thought it would have gotten some eyebrows yeah yeah the whole the whole subcontext yes she's not actually married but no one knows that everyone is behaving as if she's married so there's like this what was ron weasley call it in harry potter he says like she's a scarlet woman you know like that's how that kind of how she's like behaving and it's interesting that jefferson jones is into it though it's all very scandalous it is i found it very scandalous i really like this movie (laughs) 
I think um, it's more, I think it's actually, I think you find more of this scandalous stuff during this time frame, though. Like, if you go back and watch some of these black and white movies, like, they're actually more fun and more scandalous than after we have to go through the meat grinder of the 1950s, where women then get totally sucked down to nothing in, in the stories. This time, right, right in this period, there's a lot of sass. Think about the other movie that we've covered from 1945. It's a Wonderful Life. Think about George Bailey and, and Mary. Mary, I, I, I'm not going to give you your clothes back after we fall in the pool, Mary. I mean, <laughs> that whole scene is wicked scandal. She has to jump in the bush because she's naked, right? you, you know, and, and but and, and but is also playing with it, too. Like, she's not like playing a victim there. Like, they're mm-hmm. having fun together. They're flirting like it's it's consensual and it's it's sexy and sassy, but really blows my mind for the time. You watch that movie, you watch this movie, and, and especially this movie. This movie is, is is I mean, there's no other way to say it. This movie's horny. This is a horny uh, movie. Well, here's the thing. I know you keep saying for the time, but that's what I'm trying to say is like, hold up. Like, for this time, there's plenty. I mean, this was like, you know, past flappers, past like when women started to find their own. They're smoking. They're showing their legs. They got their red lipstick on. Like, this is a whole mood still right now. It's not until we get to the 1950s when we like stamp it down and like make them all go back and wearing like aprons and everything so right now when we're saying for the time no this is this is the time hollywood bombshell look came from this time mm. not like later you know we just emulate this time now well i mean i was i was about to say and i think it's in line with that is i don't i you watch a movie like this and you have to imagine, you know, young couples, married couples going to see this and then going home. Like, it's not a surprise that the baby boom is about to take off. And for the next 10 years, you know, they, they get all horned up watching movies like this and they go home and they do their business. Sure. <laughs> I mean, think about that end scene where he goes in and, and, and Uncle, Uncle Felix is like, what do you think they're doing in there? They're like, whoa! Like, I can't believe the two of those birds were listening at the door. I was like, you two. I'm trying to get some tips. I would imagine, but (laughs) you know, but I mean, but then like Jefferson, he's being like a little bit aggressive, even on the bed and she doesn't know what she kind of wants it, but she also doesn't want it. Like she's very thrown off by it at first, but then she kind of leans into it. It's very surprisingly (laughs) sexual. And and I guess maybe because it's also a Christmas movie. I wasn't expecting it. I had not seen this movie. I didn't really know anything about this movie going into it. I found myself constantly impressed and, and a little dumbfounded at how funny it was and also how very very, very sassy in a wonderful way that it was. It was truly refreshing to watch. I really enjoyed it. One of my favorite lines was Elizabeth goes, oh, I haven't been gallivanting. I've been in jail. <laughs> that wasn't any scandalous kind of moment there. Like, I mean, it, it, it was just like, you know, she was just moving along like whatever, you know, deal with it. I mean, the idea when they're getting arrested, she's yeah. she's, she's tickled. She was like, okay, she's officer. Like, she's like, that's <laughs> wonderful. Like, she, well, she doesn't have to go get married. Yeah, she's so entertained. She's I happy mean, with this whole situation. More time with him. Uncle Felix with a giant pocket watch chain that the, the oh baby. Oh my God. No, the telegram. I was like, yes, Uncle Felix. Like, you are the freaking best. I loved it. I want to put a pin in that because I think that plays into I want one of the few areas I have to defend this movie as a Christmas movie comes in that oh, scene. Okay. Nora as the disgruntled Pelican Irish 
a housekeeper. <laughs> I honestly cook. thought they were going to have Nora and Felix together at the end. I honestly thought there was going to be like a woo kind of moment at the end. I, I was watching with Jack and, and I was like, oh, these two are going to end up together. Like, because how Nora was instantly like, oh, great. Who's this guy? And Felix is like, what's this disgusting cooking? Like, you kind of thought like, oh, for sure. They're just going to end up being like, you know, opposites attract. But no, they didn't even go there. Do you know the play? It's also a movie called Noises Off. I've heard of it. Yes. Uh, so it has a lot of people leaving rooms, people entering rooms and hijinks. Uh, a lot of the scenes in this movie reminded me of that. And in also a lot of ways where no one at the end of the movie, no one is with the person they were with at the beginning of the movie. Okay. And uh, so it, very hijinksy like this movie and also lots of partner swapping in, in <laughs> over the course of the movie. So I also thought Nora and Felix over like a bottle of paprika we're going something to like something was gonna happen right yeah something but the food food is very sexual too i i just I felt know. like something is you know some baba ganoush was gonna lead to some magic but when mary lee reappears at the end of the movie and she's married sinky sinkowitz from the I beginning no what in the world but you know what she had such a like um i love lucy vibes off of her yes yeah she was I, like a mix of both like lucy and ethel yeah and but the old magoo worked on her really well Maybe worked on her too well, honestly. <laughs> well, Sinky got her instead, so I don't know. Uh, what did you, I mean, ju just as far as comedic timing goes and, and, and comedic value goes, what did you think of the opening scene? I found it very jarring to start this off with a German U-boat sinking I, yes. an American destroyer. Yes. when So I turned it on and, the ja and Jack goes, whoa, this is not what I expected. Yeah, and I Jack. was like, I know, right? <laughs> but, you know, it was the time. It was the time. This is where people's brains were. They had to, like, kind of go there and then bring you away from there. Well, sure, sure, sure. Especially being a German boat. We know people sitting in the theaters know, oh, we beat them already. Like, it's going to be OK. Whatever's <laughs> going to happen here, we know how that story ends. Your Victory Europe Day happened months earlier. So we knew it was cool. But the idea of them being on the raft for the 18 days or whatever it was, I thought it was hysterical when he has the Garcon fantasy. The, the food, the food mm -hmm. infatuation starts right then. The guy is hungry the entire freaking movie. It's hysterical. I, I love it, though. And I love the tie to holidays and food, man. Again, where where's this been in the other movies? Now I'm like seeing a like we're talking about music and stuff. I'm like, did they ever talk about food? <laughs> like like Strata hit me in I the last say, one. I was, yeah, like, we had Strata, I was like, we yeah. need more. We need more. People need to acknowledge the food of the holidays. Well, especially true because, you know, when we think of traditions, right? And you know how I am about traditions and customs and and rituals and rites. Food and cooking at cooking at holiday time is such a generation to generation passed down thing when you think about recipes being passed from generation to generation it's invariably tied to a holiday like this is the first time i'm getting to make the thanksgiving dinner or the special dessert for christmas or whatever it is and nine times out of ten it's gonna be that ritual involves cooking so you're you're 100 right it is odd that we haven't seen it more through 27 I've been paying more attention in the last half of this of this entire uh, project with you because I'm be like where's the food where <laughs> are they celebrating the food and the traditions of Christmas time 
I, I wanted to ask you, as as a married woman, is it intriguing mm-hmm. to you uh, to find out that you're still attractive to the opposite uh, sex? Is is that something that is that a legitimate moment? It felt real to me. Uh, her interest, even though she's actually not a married woman, she, I, I, it seemed pretty sincere to me because I know as a man who again is not married, but well, you know, you always want to know if you're attractive to the opposite sex, like a little barometer reading. Did that did that ring uh, true for you? Sure. I mean, I I think that that's one of those lines, though, where you're just like playing with him, you know, where you're just like, oh, you find me attractive. You know, it's just it's just a a workaround of making him confirm that he thinks you're attractive, basically. So sure, sure. It's the type of line that you say. How many rocking chairs is too many rocking chairs to be? 38 is too many. (laughs) And really 39 at the end of it, right? Right? Because Jefferson shows up. The mom one comes. Can we talk a little bit about many. At, at how at what line do you cross from avid fan and reader into like fatal attraction creepy or misery level creepy that Yardley and Jones have read and committed to memory all of the details of Elizabeth Lane's life down to knowing when bath time and feeding time is of the fictional baby. It was surprising. I I wasn't exactly sure. I mean, Yardley is a different animal. Okay, this is his publication. You know, he's the only one he reads. No, no, he said he goes out of his way to say it's the only thing he reads is her column. I it's uh, you know I don't know what's going on with old Yardley you know I mean he has he has a family right so I mean I don't know exactly what's going on with him but when it comes to Jefferson I mean I gotta say for the same reasons why a lot of soldiers fell in love with their nurses for real I think there was a real like caretaker nurturing kind of looking for that vibe and so I think Elizabeth Lane's entire persona of being just this like ultimate nurturing lovey woman it's like one of those you know you pin her up in your your locker kind of thing like like she's she's the one who's just gonna have like this beautiful dinner made and he's so into food i mean i thought it was really crazy about the baby's bath time part i was like oh my goodness he really is reading everything and that is what got me actually to martha stewart because for those of you who have not read her column but like in or any of her magazines there's a whole section in the back that has a calendar that tells you like day by day what she does and it is so detailed i mean it is down to like her like you know um patching the fence as if martha stewart patches her own freaking fence but that's the thing it's like you know she doesn't but back then and during this time the idea of of course she's out there you know patching it up herself and of course she's the one like bathing the baby and this this whole fantasy that these men have of just this ultimate caretaker well i found it interesting in just doing the trivia you know uh you know catch up for this elizabeth is actually loosely based on a family circle magazine columnist named gladys Tabor, who was alive at this time and was very popular if you look up she's got a ton of publications that she had written and published um over the course of her life who really did live the life that elizabeth lane is only claiming to live so far as even like lived on a farm in Connecticut. So it's funny, they took Elizabeth and based her written identity on a real person who actually did the things that Elizabeth Lane only claimed to do, which is actually a funny twist on a fictional person. And I think like so relatable though, because like, like I'm saying, like when, when, when me, Caroline reads Martha Stewart's calendar of these things that she's going to be doing, you know, collecting the eggs out of the chicken coop, I'm like, what are you talking about? So like the idea that like, 
like I would then, you know, create this whole life where I'm doing all these types of things because that's like what what is like the fantasy life that people think they want. I, I it's like dead on to what the public would want to eat up, you know, because they're not Gladys Tabor, but they want to think that they could be like that. Only because I'm dreading that com- this part of the conversation of the Christmas Uh-oh. movie discussion. Uh, <laughs> l- l- let's 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 drag it out a little bit more. Okay, can we talk about borrowing a baby, please? Uh, yeah, we can. I think that was like the funniest part of it. The marriage part was like not that big of a deal to me. Like I was like, okay, so she has to pretend like she's not a single woman. Okay, like I'm for that. But the borrowing a baby, like, like I just kept being like, what is she gonna do? Is she gonna like wrap up a doll? Is she just never gonna? like show anybody the baby is and i thought for sure when john's like i've thought of every detail and he brings her in there i thought he was gonna have created a nursery the fact that he just has a baby laying in the middle of an adult's bed i was like uh how is this thinking of every detail like where the hell does the baby actually sleep or anything like this was all so weird i don't know i thought the baby portion was hilarious hilarious i mean if you look at my notes i have in all capital letters with uh exclamation points and question marks they borrowed a baby and that was even before they then, they then swapped <laughs> the baby and the gender everything yes. about it made me laugh i mean blonde from, baby with teeth they kept saying it has teeth, teeth. <laughs> but then well then they backed off with the teeth but they, <laughs> I, and yardley Very just funny. yardley identifying all of the things different about it the next day and then she has to shut it down she's like you know now's not the time to nitpick over details <laughs> or whatever but the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Robert Roberta thing made me oh, laugh really I hard. Know. But just and I think this is is the epitome of her fantastic comedy chops in this movie. When the baby first starts to cry the very first time, which leads to bath time, uh, you know, she says, The baby's awake. It must be time for, for something. something. <laughs> and then, and yes. then Jefferson's like, Oh, it's bath time. She's like, It is, you know. That, like, was, that was when I first realized, like, oh my God, he's like read all of her, like what she does every day, you know like that he knows it's bath time i was like oh my god like this is gonna be a whole scene that she's gonna have to live up to her columns now you know in a way that's like oh my god a little bit though i was like girl you wrote these columns exactly exactly it's a little silly that she couldn't like switch gears and go into that persona a little bit more and remember you know, her schedule or her routine that she supposedly did. I mean, you know, one would think she'd remember some of that stuff. Every time someone asks her a question about parenting or life on the farm or the animals, every response that she gives is in the form of a question. Like she she lilts her voice at the end of it with a question mark on yeah. every single one. And it is never not funny. It had me <laughs> laughing the entire time. I mean, even the, the scene in the barn, and this isn't her being funny. She thinks that Jefferson is talking about her when like, you know, he's patting the, the cow down. Mm-hmm. And, he, and when he says nice firm rump and he like smacks it like she stands up like she's affronted. But he's obviously he's talking about the cow. Like everything is just so, so funny. She's literally the last person who should be on a farm what i want to know is where is she getting her information like they never really like touched on that portion you're writing columns for mostly women i guess men are reading too but mostly women how are you impersonating this martha stewart type so so well without having like any information yourself that part i think is a little boggling that like not only did she not retain it after writing it but she also just like guessed 
at this many good tips or whatever that she's basically passing on to people. Like, well, well, Felix wow. Felix is is giving her all of the cooking tips, which seems to yes, be what she's that's prim- okay. Which it but seems the to- baby stuff and like all that. I mean, like there's supposedly steps that this that you know Jefferson's following that she wrote, but it's like where'd you get that? Right. I mean, maybe she just read Doctor Spock or something at that point. I mean, she seems to be primarily <laughs> known for. Spock's not there yet, uh, isn't he? Isn't he in? The, oh, maybe he in comes the in the sixties. And I guess he comes in the sixties. He um, was around when we were little. You know, yeah, she seems to be primarily known for the cookie recipes. That's certainly what Yardley has zoomed in on. The fact that she has a family and writes about them, he's very much aware of, but isn't focused nearly as much as Jefferson. Which is interesting because Jefferson is being the hungry guy that he is is as equally invested in her home life and has made that a part of his world. And I think you're right with the the caretaker connection there. Like he feels it's like a fantasy whole thing that that he's able to slip himself in because there's enough detail given there where he can fill, he can populate the world given the detail given in the articles. He can populate the world and fit himself into it, which is, I mean, it's the ideal for fantasy building, really. When you have that much information, it, it makes the job for yourself much easier on on filling in the blanks. Yeah, I, I mean, presumably she has a friend or friends who have kids and consult with them. But yeah, definitely I don't not even retaining think so. that. Do you really think so? I think yeah, yeah, yeah. Life. I don't think really? I, Unless unless she's only writing it in the most general way of and Jefferson has just imputed more value to it. Don't make up a whole social life she has that she hangs out with all these families and that's where she gets it from. Like, don't sure. No, no, no. I I, if anything she's doing, she's doing purely because she has to for her article and her persona. You know, not that she's but like that's completely made up. They don't even imply that she has any friends that she's like getting the information from, because I'm curious as anything as to like, how is she getting this info that is suddenly groundbreaking to other people? Well, who knows? Who who knows? But who again, does know? I mean, she does. But again, she does seem to be known primarily for her recipes, though. It's, yes. I, you don't we don't know that wives are reading this and seizing on her parenting skills. Presumably, the women reading this are reading it for the recipes, and people like Jefferson, who are trying to construct a fantasy life, are focusing on the other parts of the sentence. You know, mm-hmm. when when I'm on when I wake up at the farm after I've given uh, the fed the baby and bathed it for the day. I then make a blah, 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 detailed recipe that she actually, we know how she gets that. The wives are focusing on that. Jefferson is focusing on, she's waking up on a farm and she's got a baby and she feeds him and she does bath time, you know? So she can write that very generally because, she, I mean, every, I mean, she has to know you have to bathe the baby and you have to feed yeah, the baby. Yeah, but they were like, where's the spinning wheel and blah, blah, blah. Like, she's good. She's yeah. very good at creating this fictional world that, you know, and, and it's okay that we like don't really know where she's like hijacking this information from but i'm it's just curious i mean she's got a great racket going and and clearly has, has everyone has bought into it felix has bought into it beecham who knows his boss he knows his job is on the line if it's ever exposed and yet she's so successful at it he's willing to gamble his job as the publisher of the magazine on her lie who knows who came up with it who knows who birthed the idea but there is a conspiracy here i mean legal definition of conspiracy uh afoot here at this publication under yardley 
uh, under Mr. Yardley's nose. So kind of fascinating, really fascinating. I, I mean, I would pay to see the prequel. Like, I would want to know, like, who did came up, come up with this lie? And, like, how did Elizabeth Lane, like, become this Elizabeth Lane? Like, I want to know. And that, I mean, that's, like, sign of great writing is, like, when you when you really would like to, to get that backstory and learn more about them. One thing that really took me back and actually hit me, uh, hit me with a harder nostalgia than I was expecting was the dance when i heard yes the sh- when i heard I the, the same sh- thing <laughs> when i heard the strains of turkey and the straw i was instantly a sophomore first quarter sophomore in my high school again because we had to do a square dancing uh, uh segment in gym that was what gym <laughs> was at the beginning of our sophomore year it was square dancing and turkey and the straw played prominently into my life for that two or three month period and and the bowing to the partners and the dosi doing it was i it was it was heavy nostalgia for something that i have really not thought of very much about in 26 years so whenever i watch movies like this i always think you know boy it's so goofy that like adults adult people you know would would dance like this and enjoy music like pop goes the weasel was one of the songs and and like all that kind of stuff it was like a mashup it was it was turkey and a straw into pop goes the weasel (laughs) i was they they did what glee made a fortune on decades before glee ever got a hold of it but the thing was that for whatever reason, because they seem so happy and carefree, and maybe it's because we're we're still in COVID times and everything, and and I'm I'm really missing like socializing everything. I really wish that especially adult men could just be silly like this, could just dance and be carefree to Turkey in the Straw and Pop Goes the Weasel. I, I have the same nostalgia around Maisel, you know, watching, um, you know, when they're when they're basically on their vacation and they're doing like Simon Says and stuff mm-hmm. like that as adults. And it's like, it's so goofy on one side of me, but but that's only on the side that's like, oh, you're too good for like silly, funny games. Like you're trying to act like, you know, you're too hot for this. The reality is like none of us are too hot for this. We would all have a good time if everyone just committed to it and laughed about it. If we were making a little tunnel with other people, we would be laughing. You know, like we I or I would be, I don't know, I'm not gonna speak for you, but I would be laughing and like totally doing my square dance moves and and acting like a hand bone, like throughout the whole thing. There is a family resort uh in the Poconos up here in New York, uh called Woodlock. It is set up in the same way like uh, Kellerman's is set up in Dirty Dancing. Yeah. Uh, or, I mean, if you if you know the Catskills, any of the Catskill resorts from the 40s, 50s, 60s is when they start to die out. Kellerman's Kutcher's, which is what Kellerman's was actually based on. Woodlock is locked in the past in that respect. They've got activity sheets. And they have things like family bingo and in in and games like charades. Like that all still exists there. And it is mind-blowing to me, but also so wonderful to be forced by the nature of having spent a lot of money to go there. <laughs> be, be kind of essentially forced into being an innocent kid again and not rely on the trappings of 
the modern day to to be forced like you're living i keep saying forced but it's not forced it's it's something you willingly do once you give well, yourself you over like to shed the embarrassment factor right because right, everyone's doing it right if you're if, there right, if right. everyone's laughing and everyone's really doing it it's not so embarrassing but so I, no I'm one's asking, candy crushing <laughs> you know would you, you look over at the other men would you think they were like punking you to like keep doing it like would you trust the other adults that they were really having a good time and that no one was really like judging each other and being jerks because i have like a little worry about that well so here's the thing about me i don't care if i've committed to doing something and 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 if i am having a genuinely good time i really don't care i am not a nearly good enough dancer to care what people think about me or else I would be too self-conscious to ever do it. Um, mm. Yeah. So, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I think in that environment, no one there, I know no one there is better than me in a goody two-shoes kind of way. So that doesn't really actually enter my my thinking. I, I am always willing to, in that kind of situation, I would always be willing to... I uh, doubt that I would raise my hand. Like I don't want to be like sawed in half by the resort magician. <laughs> you don't. I was gonna say, aren't you? Aren't you the guy that like volunteers on the cruise ship to go up there or anything? Uh, well, I kind of think you are. I, I actually, that's true. Actually, and I've done actually a lot of embarrassing things on cruise ships. Uh, but so maybe you are. But that's okay. I'm glad that you're so brave. I, I've I've been I've been largely naked in front of groups of uh, hundreds of people on cruise ships before doing insane things not alone but i mean it's just part of like the thing like i get into the party games it's do because i don't i I, if i'm enjoying myself that's all that matters if the party i'm with are having fun and if that's the vibe if the tribe i'm with is into it i don't i can ease i can block out the people around me so i would very much get into a square dancing situation there i would love to square dance where everybody was into it if if everyone i was with was like hardcore square dancing like i i would do -do -do like a mofo like you haven't seen since we watched this movie a little while i would love it i think it would sound it it seems so freeing in the with the innocence level like just to have this you know nobody's like judging you and you're not like rubbing up against someone else like you're just laughing and having fun like doesn't that sound nice uh there's actually a great breaking of character uh, scene that they left in the movie probably because it was too hard to redo the scene or edit it out you may have noticed there's a part where barbara stanwick she's coming around and she kind of like her head rises up and she's laughing really hard i don't know if you yes, caught that i did yeah so in the filming of the movie reginald gardner who's playing john sloan when they were dosy doing he did like this really fancy pants leap move <laughs> That when he did it, he did it to make her laugh and make the people around them laugh. And she saw it and she she busted her gut. It just happened to be her head comes into view as she starts to laugh hysterically. And it's caught in the movie. And it adds to this. These people are just having fun. They're not being self-conscious. They're not worried about what will come. They're not worried about Judge Carruthers waiting to marry them. They're just lost in a moment of having a good time with each other's company. I'm so happy they left it in because it is a joyful moment. It felt like a bloopers moment. It felt like a character breaking, uh, like an actor breaking character. So I looked it up and in fact it was, but it it works so well in the scene. I, I really loved it. It does. It goes back to that. Um, to it's a wonderful life and the and the swimming pool and that yes. you, know, you know jumping in and just that kind of chaotic yes. but like 
but just genuine fun. The reactions are so much more than what was on the paper, but they just kept filming and used it because it was it just felt right for the moment. There is another blooper in this scene. You may have noticed uh, the fat man, <laughs> uh, Yardley, <laughs> when he is coming around, uh, a woman kind of like ducks backwards as if she's like limboing there for a second. He had actually chopped her in the, I think the neck or like in like the arm, like high on her arm when he was like turning his big body and like kind of like pushed her out of the way. But she never broke character. Like she still has a big smile on her face and she just rolls with it. <laughs> but like as he's turning his large circumference around, he kind of like took it's her out a little bit. Funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it was, and watch it. It's all within the same few seconds because they're all bunched up together. It looks like a wild scene that must have been a lot of fun to shoot. I love that. I'm I'm so glad. It, and you know what? In movies where you feel like that the cast is having fun, it's hard not to enjoy it as the audience where you're like, just get sucked in so much more. Ever think about life and the fact that, you know, sometimes you get girls and sometimes you get boys. Have you ever stopped and really thought about that? Uh, when, Felix <laughs> okay. says, when Felix says that uh, about the fact that the babies now have switched genders. <laughs> right, because it's a different baby. Yeah, he delivers it like this life bon mot. Like yes. this like nugget that like sounds like it came from like Confucius. He's like, sometimes you get girls, sometimes you get boys. It was so funny because he delivers it so earnestly. It's the kind of line that someone Just matter of fact. Yeah. So like someone would be like, man, that was deep. And then only like five minutes later would think about it and realize it made no sense. Like that's not how <laughs> gender works on babies. Like that's not like a thing. It was really, really funny. Were you taken back? I don't even know if you would have caught this. It, I noticed it in this scene where Elizabeth starts like shoving the baby off. It's the new baby when when the replacement baby comes. Mm-hmm. Um, she's referring to it as it. Yes, I think she calls it it most of the time. Most of the time. And I was like, what a weird thing. Like, what a way to underline the fact that she's just not comfortable with children. Not only doesn't have children, but isn't comfortable with them in any way. But then I realized all of them are referring to it as it. Yeah, yeah. They were all referring to the baby as it. I was like, what a weird, what a weird (laughs) cultural thing. Because when everyone was doing it, I was like, well, maybe that was just how babies were referred to in in that time it it felt it was so it was very jarring though because my ears picked up on it right away because i found it funny when she did it because i thought it was like a great this great example again of like she's just living this lie that she's just barely getting through and she's barely even trying like she doesn't bother to know if it's a boy or girl or anything i mean the the double take you know uh you know did you say robert and she's like oh roberta 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 (laughs) you know like she's just like "Ah, you know you know how it is um but yeah when she's calling it so i was laughing to myself but then they're all calling the baby and then i was like kind of horrified i was like is that how we used to talk to babies yeah but at the same time these moms were dropping off kids to people they had no idea who they were and nora's got it you got it you gotta get to the war factor Caroline. I know. They were busy. Everybody just needed everyone to just help out. <laughs> Rosie the Riveter was alive and well still at this very time. Very much. Very much. All right. Time has come. We got to do some fast facts before we get into our Jingle Bell ratings and our discussion of, is this a Christmas movie? Well, first, we have to talk about if it's a Christmas movie. Uh, do we, though? Yes. <laughs> All right. Yes, we do. So I think that this is not a Christmas movie. I think that they could have come up with a lot of other reasons why the soldier wanted to meet her and why they needed to come up to the house. And there really was very little tie-in. I mean, they never exchanged presents. There was no conversation about any type of Christmas custom. 
customs or or concerns or other family coming or anything like that. So I, I think this was hijinks with a boss and you had this added element of this, you know, sort of like contestant winner feeling, you know, where there's just like the stranger who comes in to meet you. But none of that had to happen at Christmas time. I think that, you know, there was a little bit of the added element of timing of like, you know, well, we have to get up there and we have to do it this particular weekend as opposed to any other. So there was, you know, a little bit of timing, but honestly, I mean, it didn't come into play. Like, you know, the, the moms were still going to work. Like everything was happening as if it wasn't Christmas time anyway. So winter time, but didn't need to be Christmas. Did it even need to be winter time though? No. I mean, I know it, it didn't. It, I mean, yeah, I think it, it was just been... fun. It's fun that it was winter and snow and stuff, but no. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it was great that every single time, it, I, well, one, it was great that they used horse-drawn sleighs like yes. out of a christmas song is hysterical and that even off camera you knew someone was arriving because you heard sleigh bells there were no sleigh bells on those horses though it was <laughs> it was like a magical sound generated by the concept of a horse-drawn sleigh right mm, but that's not that that alone doesn't make christmas i believe i read and i don't think i'm confusing this with the movie this movie takes place over the course of three days at the christmas time period the presents remain under the tree and are never opened they're never touched. They're there just like the way they put presents in the lobby of my apartment building. You know, they're just wrap boxes <laughs> right. that are there for show. Well, and they could have added that kind of thing to add like an element of like stress. Like, what is she going to buy for, you know, John or what, you know, oh, God, what about this? And like, there could have been some element of worry. Wait, 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 Caroline, is this our new segment? <laughs> You want me to say it? What do I say? You said you said you were going to sing it every time. So Mike and Caroline do a rewrite. Mike and Caroline feel good. <laughs> it's like that portion. So here's the rewrite. They could have added more Christmas stuff in it, right? They could have had a, they could have had other family members. Maybe Elizabeth has a sister who's going to have to be there. Or maybe John has some family member that's going to come into the mixer. Felix has somebody or whatever. Like there could have been other people involved and and presents. I mean, my goodness, that could have been a whole horror, right? Of like, oh gosh, what are we going to get? And how are we going to make this look good? I have to look like I know him and he's got to look like he knows me and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Like there could have been more if they wanted to care about the Christmas part. I honestly just think this was a I have to trick my boss hijinks movie. The reason for coming is because Mary Lee writes that this soldier would like to meet Elizabeth Lane, but it's not, it's not like it was a make-a-wish thing. It wasn't like a for-Christmas present. No, it could have just been a contest winner. Like, you know, write in and say, you know, why do you want to be a part of this? Or whatever, you know, whatever they wanted. Right, and so Mr. Yardley, he uh, he invites himself, I think because it ends up being that for whatever Christmas plans he had, they fall through. Right? Isn't that what it is at the beginning of the movie? Because he's on the phone, whether he couldn't be with his family or whatever it was. And that's when he decides that he's going to invite himself too. There's some kind of plot device there. But okay. Yeah, but, it's small, but yeah. Yeah, they could have, right. They could have made this more Christmas dependent. And just while they were there, I mean, they went to a square dancing party 
not a Christmas party? They couldn't have done a Christmas dance? I don't think of square dancing. I don't think of that Christmas. I that that yield time of year. Very, very, very good point. I mean, that would have been a very logical time to ha- to add in the holiday part, right? A winter wonderland party. They could well, have like had- a big holiday potluck, right? That the whole town's like bringing a dish and blah blah blah, you know, whatever. They could have had ice skating on a pond at Christmas time kind of thing or right or or like a Yankee swap, like a town Yankee swap or something like that. Right, yeah. they, not square dancing at Christmas time. I mean, I know I think of square dancing and uh, turkey in the straw at Christmas time. You think of it at Christmas time? I heavily. I'm obviously joking here. Yes, I don't. I was <laughs> like, what is your problem? I definitely think of it actually as springtime because people wear like, um, you know, like skirts and short sleeve yeah. shirts and stuff like that. So and I mean, straw, no, I right? Think of right. it. Yeah, it's like right. harvesty times or whatever, but not winter. Right. The right. The hay is all gone. It's all bailed up and and stored in the barn at this point of the year. There is no turkey in the straw. It's turkey is dead. And has yeah, turkey's, and turkey's, turkeys dead from make it past thanksgiving right turkey areas are a bloody mess <laughs> <laughs> any any turkeys that are still alive are in hiding and and exactly. and will be until they're spawning in the spring oh um I, this is the second movie i think of where i've brought up spawning or mating or was, aye, it, aye, was, aye. It, was it just this movie earlier where i said mating i think maybe it was just this movie earlier. i don't know, I don't know. <laughs> oh no 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 it was early it was family stone when we recorded family stone i said that uh, uh one of the goals of stone men is that they have to find meats so oh goodness to, to, okay yeah to propagate the line anywho um uh, yeah so this movie has nothing to do with christmas so does it have christmas themes is there hope here is there goodwill towards men and families here is any of that present I mean, it's a stretch. I mean, I think there's friendship, you know, in in with Felix, like we talked about that. But honestly, no, I mean, I don't even think so. Everyone's willing to go along with the charade, but it's really about her, you know, not losing her job and everybody not getting in trouble. It's really not about some sort of pull it together and save in some sort of big Christmas miracle. Like, I didn't feel that way. It's all CYA. This entire movie, right, is just classic Fool your boss, hijinks, C-Y-A. Just, right. The the conspiracy has gotten so out of hand, everyone needs to be on board with it, not out of the goodwill of their hearts, but because no one wants to get in trouble or fire. And even... even, They all got caught up in it. Like, even once John is going to spill the beans, he's got a whole reason to hang in there to to keep his own little business going. So, no, I mean, I I don't know. Even a guy who loves the woman who I spent 10 minutes arguing about his true love (laughs) is going to rat her out. Uh, he's gonna rat her out until he gets yes. offered a job and he's like well i didn't want to i didn't want to i didn't want to ruin her christmas i think we should go back to that argument now and now i'm <laughs> I gonna ask you this um i'm sorry he's gonna rat her out for no with no issue until he gets a well, little a little uh you said that he would hang he's scorned uh, She's supposed to be marrying him. How many times did he bring Judge Carruthers there to marry them? That was their deal. And she's carousing. Love him. Yes, but he doesn't. That's not his focus. Well, he cares, but (laughs) I mean, he's doing this thing for her. He's putting on this ruse for her, and she's out smacking. B- cow butt and stealing horses. Smacking cow butt. Well, I guess John. I guess Jones is actually smacking cow butt. Yes, smack he's smacking that from rump. But yeah, she's out carousing with this guy 
And she's supposed to be, you know, yeah, she's doing yeah. this whole thing back at the thing. So you can see where. She's doing this whole thing back at the thing. <laughs> That's a sound argument. I got it. I got it. I got it. I, I actually would say that she does herself the most favors by behaving the way she does with Jefferson, because I think that actually does finally break the spell that I think John Sloan realizes that she's actually not worth my time. She's not worth my time and effort and my heart that I keep putting out there over and over again. She's actually really just using me and being insulting about it at the same time. I actually give John a lot of credit for finally realizing that, you know what, it's never going to happen. And, and so he goes for himself and he tries to make his own position better. I actually don't have a problem with John doing that at all because I think she's actually a little ungrateful for what he's trying to do here. I think she's over caring. That's the thing. Like, I think at one point she's like, you know what? My job is not worth all this. Like, I'm over it. I'm I'm for Jefferson Jones. I want to be Mrs. Jones and I want to go have this life over here, which P.S. Jefferson Jones has got to head out. Like he's got he's got orders like he's got to head out in like 10 seconds. I'm like, girl, where are you even going to live? What you even doing over here? Like you've got to keep that job because, you know, you're hitching your wagon to this guy who P.S. is not even around. To to say nothing of the fact that uh, you have good old Dud Dudders. Uh, back in the city who's counting on her and his family like she's got people relying on her to not screw the pooch on this dudley was the only Christmassy portion of this because when he comes back and he says the reason why we all have to go through with this is because my wife told me the christmas present she bought for my children that is actually the entire catalyst for the rest of the movie had dudley not brought up christmas presents for children this wouldn't happen it would be over. So that's so there you go. There's your little Christmas movie nug. If you need something, the catalyst for the whole thing is that we have to have presents for the children. Here, here's the other nug that I'll add. Oh, to you the, got another nug? Okay, fine. I have a nug that I want to throw in the nug pile for Christmas. Okay, let's see your nug. Show us all your nug. I'm, I'm making the argument that Felix, and I intentionally referred to him earlier as a guardian angel of hers, he provides the magic aspect of the movie. He is the Christmas miracle aspect of the movie when he happens to have a telegram that he can pass off and has the quick thinking skills to invent it as a job offer and and arrange it so that Elizabeth can get her job back. And by the way, so also Sloan can get his job too. That's a very... Tinkly, 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 like Dusek Machina, Guardian Angel kind of magic moment that he pulls off single-handedly. And again, he does act as a Guardian Angel for her, even predating when the movie starts, right? Because he is the one sourcing all of Mm -hmm. these recipes, making her life possible. He really is a fairy godfather of sorts to her. Do you know what he's like? He's a little like Clarence. A little bit like Clarence, your Guardian Angel. a little like Felix Navidad. <laughs> nice. You like nice. that? I do like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> I like that a lot. So that's my magic moment. So I, so I'm making the argument there. There is a little bit of Christmas magic here because I don't think you get that. Yes. The fact that they're out of kidneys and livers back at his restaurant over in restaurant row in Manhattan. That's not particularly Christmassy, but I loved though that he did that. Like I loved that he read that out loud and I loved that Elizabeth knew him 
and knew that when he said, oh, um, you know, Alexander comes in there and he's a yardly for the rest of us uh, who don't know him as well as I do. And I just call him Alexander. Um, I call him AY. <laughs> I call him AY. AY, AY. <laughs> when he goes in there to talk to her and says, you know, Felix told me. And she's like, oh, Felix told you that? Oh, like she doesn't like there's so many times in a movie when someone's like, I don't understand. What do you mean? Felix? Told you? Like, I was like, yes, girl. Like you all, y'all are like peas in a pod. And I love that part of you guys. She's slick AF though, mm-hmm. she, but she gets it though. And she knows, she knows that uncle Felix is always going to make a feel good. You know, like he's always, <laughs> what? <laughs> Hey, the Uncle Felix, I don't know, made me think That's of Dr. Feelgood. Yeah, no, Dr. No, Feelgood, no, no. Uncle Felix. It all it works. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, he she knows that he's always gonna have her back. That is some like unconditional love kind of arrangement there. He did it with the with the um with the watch as well. You know, you can't constantly all this, you know, and then he's like got it in his hat and everything. Like, I mean, yeah, you're right. He he is a guardian angel for sure. Yes. So that's still, my Christmas magic moment. Stretchy, stretch, 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 stretch. I mean, these are two <laughs> two tiny nuggies uh, on the on the Christmas nuggie pile. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. This this one's tough because I really, really, I enjoyed this movie in a way. Like I, this movie entertained me and made me laugh in a way that I haven't actually enjoyed a movie recently on this list. Oh, I love that. This was like truly like laughing out loud at several different parts. Um, you know, and I don't want to be you know Chris Farley like hey, remember that that happened that was cool. But there's a lot of the parts of this movie that are going to stay with me, and I may even rewatch this movie down the road. Uh, and it doesn't have to be at Christmas time. That's the beauty of it. Like this, yes, it totally this made is sense. Not a Christmas yeah, movie. <laughs> I wasn't at, at no point did I watch it. And be like, man, I can't wait to watch this again at Christmas. Be like, no, I'm going to watch this again next week because there are parts of it that made me laugh. And you know what? I loved it because it was missing. Any of the misogyny that came up with, like, the, you know, she doesn't know how to cook, it was all done, like, tongue-in-cheek. Like, she's a wonderful woman who knows how to do so many things, and she's so smart, and she obviously is a great writer and all these things. And the fact that they kept saying, but she can't cook, I mean, it was the joke of it, like, that anyone even cares anymore, that that doesn't matter, you know? And I just feel like, for especially women, I just feel like there's such a, like, a a yumminess to that of like this is funny and she is funny and she's just like taking what she wants like this isn't about men carousing this is about elizabeth lane carousing and you know just going off with whatever man she wants to and yay for her a better version of netflix's sex life right like this is a very kind of it's a very female positive story where she is unapologetically living her best life for her own sake and, and not making uh, not making apologies for it, not feeling bad about it, nor should she. And they all accept it. No one's judging her. No one, even even Yardley, you know, A.Y. for those who know, uh, <laughs> right. I, 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 even he in the end comes around to the fact that my moral code doesn't apply to her like she's breaking the molds like i don't actually have a way of thinking of her other than you know what she's actually a good person who's just trying to do the best just like we all are and she's just cool and like and has figured out her own way and so what let her have her own way i'll tell you one of those when you said unapologetic it made me think of the exact moment when she comes in and everyone's sleeping and she grabs like the 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 like the silver tray and bangs it she doesn't go around and like quietly wake them all up and tell them what happened she's like i'm home 
And it's just like, deal with it. Deal with what happened. I don't even care. And it's it's wonderful. I think I think maybe if you are a, a, a anyone feeling a little bit beaten down during, you know, the holidays, maybe you're working extra hours. Maybe you feel a slave to your job or something like that. This could be a movie you could watch at the holidays and feel very much like, you know what? I just I need to be a little more Elizabeth Lane and like live my life. And we all can be a little bit more Elizabeth Lane. The Yardleys and the and the John Sloans and everybody else can just bite my butt, you know, like let, I'm just going to live my life. No, I agree. And, and you said it, you said it so well. And I, I, I don't think we could say it enough. Barbara Stanwyck is the comedic lead of this movie. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is her straight man, except for Felix, who is also comedy relief. He's like, but he's like almost psychic. like her comedy partner, though. And so it's like they're respectful of the joke together. Right. It's it's Stanwyck and Sakal, you know, yes. as a comedy team together in on the joke together. But this is her vehicle. This is make no mistake. She's no wilting flower. She's no Gracie in George's shadow. She is doing her own thing here uh, and leading this movie. And I, I, we have to applaud that because I feel like we've forgotten about that. I feel like. Only now are we even having this conversation and we're having this conversation like we just went back to the moon for the first time because we've forgotten that we've actually done it before. When did we forget that we used to have movies with strong, funny women leads that didn't have to apologize for being themselves? Enter the 1950s and everything you were talking about at the beginning of this, the men coming back from war and not being comfortable being sidelined by the women who took up the mantle and took jobs and took care of the family and were able to actually, you know, explore and do what they needed to do to take care of everyone back home. And when they came back, there was a hard smashing of all women back down and and it's it it is a shame because it is i mean you're right we're just now really fighting back for those roles and you know we were doing just fine you know in the 40s you can look back here we were we were fighting our good fight and and many of these women were very i mean when you go back and look at some of these actresses they were they were such an important part of the war effort you know i mean there's so many of them who who actually played a part in war effort that that no one really understands their backstories or really understood what they were up to me and you need to maybe have like a 52 weeks of like strong amazing hilarious you know back in the black and white movies era year when we can go back and see how characters were written before the squashing if you will barbara stanwick by the way highest paid woman in america in 1944 the year before this movie came out amazing right yeah girlfriend was getting it done well she was in a huge movie uh that year double indemnity so yeah i mean she she was getting her props like it, it was it was stanwick's world and we were all just living in it back in 1944 well and not only that but the budget for this movie was so low i mean what was it eight hundred and sixty four thousand dollars, something like that and it, it made four million. Oh, it's a it's a I mean, it was one of the biggest movies of the year for movie. sure yeah 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 I man, you know, just I enjoyed this movie so much. I don't want to give it a low <laughs> ranking. I know we're getting to that part. <laughs> well, okay, everyone, remember we're doing this in the larger scope of Christmas movies. This is not to deter you from watching it. You absolutely should. I think it's a great movie, and I think it's like a fun romp, if you will. Right? Like you could just enjoy. <laughs> it is wonderfully rompy. I gotta it, tell you, I enjoyed this so much more than White Christmas. But White Christmas is still going to end up with a higher 
great because it was tangentially more of a Christmas movie than this movie. But I enjoyed this so, so, so much more than that movie. All right. Do you want to throw out some fast facts, Mike? I'll start with one. There, okay. it's, it's a great one because we loved him so much. Uncle Felix, S.Z. Sakal, who plays Uncle Felix, he was of Hungarian ancestry, born in Budapest. He served several Hungarian-inspired dishes throughout the course of the film. Uh, we see him adding paprika to stew. He's making goulash. He's doing lots of kidney work. Um, this was an instance of art imitating life. Sakal hated American food and insisted only on eating Hungarian or continental food, European food, even to the extent that he would have his wife cook his lunches for him and bring them to him when he was on the set shooting this movie. <laughs> Uncle Felix, don't mess around. <laughs> That's very funny. Betty Davis was originally cast as Elizabeth early in 1944, but Barbara Stanwyck replaced her in April of that same year. I'm glad for it. I, li- I You know what? To be honest with you, I knew Barbara Stanwyck from Dynasty, and I thought surely you would remember her from that, because aren't you a Dynasty guy? I was, and well, she was the matriarch of the Colbys, the spinoff of the mm-hmm. Dynasty show. That's the only place I really knew Barbara Stanwyck from. I didn't know her as this young woman, and I was so excited to get to see her, so I'm glad it was her and, and not Betty Davis, because I've seen her in other things so i was happy to have my little entree to barbara here i like this i like this fast fact because it allows us to talk about that mink stole from the beginning of the movie uh in 1945 the head of warner brothers jack o warner he was on a cost-cutting kick and in hoping to cut down on extravagant production expenditures during the wartime uh an example of this was the mink coat that barbara that elizabeth lane wears at the beginning of the movie it was Actually, the same coat that Joan Crawford had worn in the other 1945 Warner Brothers hit, Mildred Pierce. I like that fast fact because I love that scene. She is feeling herself in that coat. It's hysterical. Not hysterical. It's great watching her. I bought this. This was my own money. I did this. I wanted to reward myself. I don't care who cares. I don't care who judges me. She just wanted, she wanted the coat. So she got the coat. I love that. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Like prior to 1950s, then you get into the 1950s and you're like, wah, wah. <laughs> like no longer do women get to do this. It's ugh, blick. And I know people are listening are like, Caroline, what are you talking about? Women did not have like all these rights in the 1940s. I'm not trying to act like they did. Okay. We still had plenty of fighting to do, but I'm just saying within entertainment, there was a sharp decline in the intelligent funny leading woman role that fell off yeah like none of that happens at you know for a long time yeah there's no more you know uh you know buckle up it's gonna be a bumpy getaway you know oh i put your lips together and blow give me a break like come on may west that's some good stuff that's back in the day and those women existed and they were fantastic and i am i'm so sad that they got squelched but we're coming back we're coming back. <laughs> I had to look up the year the from the Fast and Belts. It's going to be a bumpy ride line came out because I, I knew it was getting near the 1950s. I wasn't I thought it was still in the 40s, but it's actually 1950 that All About Eve comes out. So right on that cusp, like that's probably one of the last good examples of a, of a, sass, of a sassy woman getting to be out there in the front like that. But I mean, get this, like Mae West, like she was born in 1893. Like, Mike, like I'm saying like these women were out there during a time that they were like hot 
business, you know, and that that whole like sort of like, I don't know, in my brain, that wild, wild west body, you know, vaudeville, just kind of like just being able to do whatever you want and say whatever you want. I mean, to be clear, you're not talking about Will Smith's wild, wild west. You're talking about that, that environment. No, the, I'm the, talking about like saloon the, girls and the that kind of days and into the flapper movement. Yeah. 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 Dude, I don't I, I'm, I'm never going. I, I'm from Texas. When I say wild, wild west, I'm never referring to Will Smith. <laughs> I mean, it was a banger. It was a it was a banger from our youth. I don't know what you wanted never to say. Referring to him, <laughs> I mean it like. And if I said it in a funny way, I apologize. But like, no, no I'm I'm trying to say I, it like that's where my brain goes. I hear Wild West. I think of I think of I, you know, Smith, so. but just like you know, just I do, the, I, I do. The Betty oh. Boops, the Frida Kahlo's, the just like just the women who are like you know what? Have you ever heard that? There's a quote from Frida Kahlo. Okay, so so and and for those of you who are like Frida Kahlo is not an actress, like I I know that um, <laughs> she's just that brand of woman that I am really lifting up. She has this quote that I just think is like yes. She told her husband, "I'm not asking you to kiss me nor apologize to me when I think you're wrong. I won't even ask you to hug me when I need it the most. I don't ask you to tell me how beautiful I am." even if it's a lie, nor write me anything beautiful. I won't even ask you to call me to tell me how your day went, nor tell me how you miss me. I won't ask you to thank me for everything I do for you, nor to care about me when my soul is down. And of course, I won't ask you to support me in my decisions. I won't even ask you to listen to me when I have a thousand stories to tell you. I won't ask you to do anything, not even be by my side forever, because if I have to ask you, I don't want it anymore. Nice shut up Frida that is fantastic and like that's the kind of stuff that women were saying during this like this just this like rage out that I'm like yes <laughs> I love it I'm, I'm applauding here That's that kind of like gets to your soul right because you're like if I have to ask I don't want it anymore yeah and and women who are willing to say that and walk away like turn on their heel and walk you right. know mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. strong ladies where it's at all right caroline so i think it's time for us to come up with our jingle bell ratings and while we're doing that can i play you a clip from next week's movie please do because i'm gonna have to mull on this rating so please go ahead uh now a little bit this is a really just totally non-sequitur clip okay. i i know you're gonna know the actress all right all right movie. with this lead up just let's go i'm just saying so i, I know what I, you're I, just saying i, I picked something really <laughs> random so okay hit it sandy it's your turn to clean. Here, let me do that. No, thanks, ma'am. It's Cindy's chore. Oh, my grandma taught me to skin a rabbit so fast. You'd think that sucker had a zipper in it. <laughs> <laughs> Finish your chores. Why don't you go inside? Come Jake. on. Please. Okay, so I recognize dolly parton without Jolene, a doubt Jolene. <laughs> but after that i'm not sure yeah it know. really super random it's a movie i have never seen 1986's smoky mountain christmas okay no was that actually a movie or is this a made for tv flick i believe it was a made for tv movie i believe it aired uh 1986's smoky mountain christmas the dolly parton made for tv movie uh that aired at, at christmas time 1986 on abc 
So starring uh, Dolly Parton, Lee Majors, directed by The Fonz. I'm excited for that. I I love a Henry Winkler. He's so cute. Dolly Parton loves a good Christmas story. Always has. She does. She does. Uh, it must be a magical time for her. This is only one I know of several Christmas related things that she's done. So I'm excited to see it too. I love Dolly. So I, I was, love Dolly as well. I, I'm expecting there to be a lot of uh, sh- poverty, though, because that is her story most of the time. So this is what I'm expecting to see. So if we get into this and it's about the rich and famous, I'm be shocked. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be real Appalachian kind of stuff. I think so. it is, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, Caroline, I did Family Stone first. So you got to go first in your Jingle Bell rating this week. Okay, while I really enjoyed this movie, Christmas in Connecticut, I feel like they had wonderful writing. Super happy that we're getting some women writers in this, and I'm really hoping that we're going to see more as we go through our list. I appreciated the strong female lead and just the the never-ending commitment to her being the storyline we never got sidetracked that these other men are who we're supposed to pay attention to it was always about elizabeth and and she wasn't a victim she was a strong woman i loved all of those things however i don't think that this fits very well in our christmas podcast our 52 weeks so for that i'm going to give it a five which i know puts it dead center of a lot of other ones and that's going to get messy for me but what am i gonna do Especially coming off of the Family Stone, which I also I I really like that movie, but also it's not really a Christmas movie, and I gave that one a five. I think if possible, this one is even less about Christmas though than the Family Stone, so I think I have to give it like a four point five, only because it's it's just not about Christmas. It's it has none. I mean, we we gave those two little nuggy tosses, but those aren't really good defenses of this a a christmas movie we know what a christmas movie looks like we have covered nines and 9.5s and nine nines and and eights and and you know we've covered i identifiable (laughs) inarguable christmas movies this isn't it and it's a shame because this movie is funny this movie has a great pro woman message that we need more of it is uh, Barbara Stanwyck is just a revelation in this that I, I want to actually maybe go find more of her movies and really learn about her because I enjoyed her so much in this. I really, really enjoyed everything about this movie, except for the fact that it is not about Christmas in any way, shape or form. So that's where we're at, folks. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thanks for listening to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. If you could remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast and all of Pod Clubhouse's podcasts at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, we're available everywhere. And while you're there, if you could leave us a five-star rating, that would be most appreciated so that we could tell you it's all hunky-dunky. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.